Welcome to another installment of the Neat Humans podcast. Um, today we get a chance to chat with a band that has uh, long been one of my favorites and, and somebody that's a little bit um, less known in the world of music, but somebody that, uh, that I've been a fan of for a long time for many reasons, um, and they just have such an interesting story to tell. Um, a little bit shorter than, than I would have liked, just, uh, just with my podcast, I like to go a little bit long, and they were a little bit limited on the amount of time that they could give me today. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I'm thankful for, for the hour of conversation that I was able to enjoy with them and some of the stories that they were able to tell. Um, this is Vito and Monique Ayuto. Um, they comprise the Welcome Wagon, which is an uh, indie kind of folk band, I guess you would call them. Um, Vito, uh, does he's worked in, in the church for a long time. He's, he's been a pastor and um, has just recently changed jobs, but um, he was a pastor for a lot of years. Monique is an artist. Um, they live in New York City. Um, they have their jobs and they also make music on the side as the welcome wagon. Um, the connection that I made with them is that I've, anybody who even knows me casually knows that I've been a Sufjan Stevens fan for, for a long, long time. And, and they have played with Sufjan. You hear us talk about their relationship with him. Um, but their musical styles really cross over a lot. And, um, I, I, uh, have always just loved the music that they make and, and what they contributed to some of Sufjan's career, even in some of the, the music that they've, um, put on some of his albums as well. So, um, we, we get a chance to talk a little bit about their musical life. Um, we talk about family and, um, their background, their origin story a little bit. And we talk a little bit about their, their newest album, Esther, uh, which has just been released within the last couple of months. Um, a unique album. We'll touch on it just a little bit, but um, the kind of the concept of the album is that Monique has all of these old audio recordings of her grandmother um, reading the Bible or talking about her day or the weather or whatever um, that she sent to Monique while she was in art school in the early 90s. Um, the, her grandma in Ohio would record uh, these passages in the Bible and then just uh, send it out to Monique to listen to. And so, and so they've taken some samples from those audio recordings and turned that into an album a little bit. Uh, you know, just snippets here and there, obviously, but that was the basis for the album Esther, which is uh, Monique's grandmother's name. Um, and I think that you can find some places where you can listen to those full album or those full uh, tape recordings as well. Um, so we'll get into it a little bit more along the way, but right now this is Vito and Monique Ayuto. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You shall go forth again Skip about like calves Coming from their stalls at last So first off, again, just thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, I, I want to hear just first off, since since you guys uh, have released this album within the last couple months, what's the reception been like for you? Um, and how have people been uh, receptive to Esther? I think it's been really great. We've We've got some really nice reviews. It's funny because, uh, you know, we get, it, it, it's funny where the reviews come from. Some places that you never expected, you know, random newspapers in Scotland or we'll get emails from people overseas or this place or that place. It's really fun to think about somebody in, you know, Belgium bouncing around their kitchen listening to the record we made over here. So we're really grateful for all the, 
feedback we've gotten and it made some end of the year best lists and so we're really grateful for that and thankful has this been more widespread than some of your previous releases as well i mean is there a reason why you think it's reached uh farther maybe than other uh other albums of yours <laughs> well i I'll, I'll put it this way um asthmatic kitty does a really really great job they're just so that's our label and um We've only been on two labels. We released our first two records on Asthmatic Kitty. Mm-hmm. And then Asthmatic Kitty was in a time of contraction and kind of reorganization. And so for our third record, um, we put it out on another label. And um, and working with Asthmatic Kitty has just always been really great. They're, they're, they're family to us and people that we really love and care about and they care about us too and so they've worked really hard to get it out there and to push it and put a lot of resources into that so i i think a lot of the credit goes to them and to the the team that was behind promoting it and and getting it in people's hands and and so we're really uh, we love our label we love all the people at asthmatic kitty they're the best yeah and that's i mean that's obviously how i as i'm sure many people discovered you guys is through um, other artists within Asthmatic Kitty and um, listening to them and kind of coming across your music along the way. Um, and I think I read that m- most, if not all, of Asthmatic Kitty uh, performers are based out of Michigan or have some sort of Michigan connection, which I know is where uh, you guys both came from. D- did you know each other growing up, or how did you two first get connected? Monique and I knew each other in Michigan, um, but Sufjan, who owns the label and is, you know, of course leads the label, He's also from Michigan, but we didn't know him there. But Monique and I grew up in the same little hometown, and we moved to New York. I mean, no, that's not true. Monique moved to New York first mm-hmm. in 1992, and then I kind of followed her out. I didn't kind of follow. I don't know why. It, I don't know why I said kind of. I, I absolutely <laughs> out. Uh, um, I did. I stopped in. <laughs> I stopped in New Jersey on the way. I stopped there for three years and read a bunch of books and um and then uh and then i moved, and then we got married and moved to new york and then we hadn't been in new york maybe a year and then we met sufyan and that was our that was the beginning of our connection as Asthmatic kitty i think quite a few of the artists originally were on from on Asthmatic kitty were from michigan but i don't I don't know that that's the case anymore. Maybe a couple of them, I'm not sure. Um, and Monique, maybe you can answer this one. I, I'm curious about your your connection. How I mean, how you and Vito first met. I mean, were, was your did your relationship date back to high school, middle school, or even earlier? Oh, we I knew of him in high school, but we ran around with different crowds. Um, but I did have a little bit of a crush on him from afar. And and so when did you first start dating? During college. We um, met up in college, like over the summer, and we just really hit it off. Hmm. We didn't know we had so much in common. Um, we just really fell in love that sure. summer. Sure, yeah. And that's at, that was at Western Michigan, right? That's where you two went in Kalamazoo? Well, Mon- no, Monique, that's, you're right. I, I went to Western Michigan, and I had already graduated. I was home for the summer, hmm. but Monique moved to New York in right after high school oh, okay so she was she was living in new york city and going to a school called the cooper union and she was home for the summer and then i w- i was just graduated and i was starting to think about grad school or where, what i was going to do next and that's when that's when we ran into each other and 
fell in love and all that. And and has music always been part of your lives? I mean, was that something that was important to you growing up? Yes. My mom was a music teacher, and um, my grandmother was a music teacher. So I grew up with, like, Broadway songs and lots and lots of music in my home. Mm. So... For me, growing up, it was very important. And Vito, he, um, his parents um, played a lot of music in their home. Hmm. Neither one of us were trained as musicians when we were younger. I mean, music was important, you know, for Monique. Her mom was either directing a musical or in a musical or leading a high school choir probably, I don't know about all the time, but more often than not, that was the case for her. And so music was kind of all around. And in fact, when we first started dating, she <laughs> turned me on to Irving Berlin. I'd never, I'd never <laughs> listened to that Berlin. And she, the first mixtape that she ever made for me was all Irving Berlin songs. And so <laughs> that music was really important to her in that way. And for me, it was somewhat similar. It was just the, there was always music on in the house. And for me, my parents were, kind of latter-day hippies and so it was you know carol king and Hmm. the beatles and james taylor and lou rawls and all these kind of the music that you know uh you know people listened to in the 70s or at least my parents did Hmm. and so but neither of us were trained it wasn't until we got to new york that we started to try to think about being musicians ourselves which is I don't, I mean, we just, we just, I guess we were both artists and we had a bunch of friends who were musicians and that's the kind of art they were making. And so we, we didn't want to be left behind. Yeah. 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 And I think I even heard you say Vito on another podcast that it wasn't until, you know, later into your adulthood that you really started learning the guitar. Oh yeah. I didn't, I bought, we got married and I was probably 25 or four or something like that. And I bought a guitar and, um, that coincided right around the time that we met Sufjan and a few other people who were really interested in music and who were musicians. And so it was sort of fortuitous that that all happened together, but I didn't, I didn't learn to play until I was an adult. And I think it kind of shows in how I play. It's sort of like if a child learns a language when they're very young, they don't speak with an accent and it comes really easy to them. Hmm. But then learning language when you're, older or at least my experiences i don't in any languages i've tried to learn it's very hard and um so it, it i don't i don't i don't know why i i i take any time i any opportunity i can to be self-deprecating about how i play guitar i don't know why i feel the compulsion to do that but that's my problem not yours i suppose <laughs> i don't know well, it's it's worked out well. I mean, I, I would never have guessed that you didn't have training. I mean, I, I have zero guitar abilities, and so, like, what, what you have is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, oh, that's kind. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're, yeah, you're funny. I, I want to hear, too, before we move on a little bit, I, um, I mean, your lives really do intersect across, uh, you know, both music and, and, you know, faith and Christianity is such a big part of your life, I'm sure, as well. Uh, was, was that always the case with you? I mean, were you guys raised in the church? I was raised in the church for sure. And um, like my mom always went up and did the children's sermons in our church. And my grandmother, uh, she took her faith so seriously. 
she read the the Bible to me and on audio cassettes and sent it to me in college so that I could listen to her reading the Bible. And she would pray for us regularly. She was a very, very wise woman um, and made a huge impact on my life. She also was really interested in the theater and in the arts. So, you know, it was an amazing, like, it was a really amazing family to be born into. They they loved faith, but they also really appreciated the arts, you know, and that was really unique and um, beautiful for me um, that I felt so supportive, supportive as an artist. I was, I'm a painter as well, and I was very supported, at, you know, um, in my painting, too, and very, very grateful. Yeah, really grateful. My, my home, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But nobody, we didn't talk about faith or anything, but having said that, I think that, you know, my mom is a Christian, she's a Catholic, and um, I think both my parents in their own ways conveyed the gospel to me. It wasn't until I was an adult that I made a profession of faith or would have considered myself a disciple. And like I said, we didn't actively go to church all that much when I was a kid. But as I think back on it, I mean, you kind of think of these things in in different ways. Sometimes I thought, you know, that just wasn't part of my life, and I came to it later, and that's true in one way. But in another way, you know, in Ephesians 3, it says that, um, basically says that the, the Father, God the Father, that every father, you know, every father is the image of the Father. And so there's something conveyed by parents about who God is to their children, whether they're Christians or not. And I think both my parents conveyed something about God's love or God's mercy and God's care and just their, their character and who they were. I mean, they, they both had difficulties along the way, like anybody does, but, um, you know, they both, uh, I think conveyed, they kind of primed the pump, so to speak, so that later when I, when I came to faith, on the one hand, it felt really um, new or even foreign. And on the other hand, it was a little bit like a confirmation of, you know, the nagging suspicion that you didn't know you had until later that, um, you know, there's this love, there's this love which is real that maybe, you know, in some ways your parents or your caregivers are the... um, the shadow of the, the, the love of God, the father and the love of um, God, who's like a mother as well. And so I don't know, that's, I, I, I think about it a lot because again, I didn't grow up in the church and then there's sometimes I thought about it as this sort of very unique thing that I did in and of myself, but that's not really an accurate way to, to think about it because my parents also, the, the, their parenting or their love for me had a very, Christocentric shape to it. Uh, I, I may as well go ahead and touch on your grandmother, Monique, um, since you mentioned her, um, because she's obviously such a huge part of this newest album release that you have. You know, what you did with her having these recordings of her reading scripture on the album is such a unique concept, and I, I have to think maybe you're the first person to do something like that. I can't think of any other artist who's uh, done something quite like that, done something so unique. 
What was your inspiration for that or what made you even think to do something like that, having these recordings of your grandma, reading the Bible and putting that and turning it into an, a musical album form? Um, okay, oh, thanks so much for bringing that up. Um, I think it was both Vito and I that have always wanted to use these with our work and with our music. Maybe Vito could be- better answer that question. Um, I think, yeah, go ahead. Vito. Well, I mean, if, you know, as, when you're assembling any kind of art, when we were assembling the album, it was taking shape and we, we, we toyed around with the idea of putting, you know, the, what are there 10 or 12 tracks on the record? I think we toyed around with there being like one or two minutes of her reading scripture between every song, mm. like, and have it almost be little interludes or between some of the songs, because we've been listening to these, especially Monique, but, uh, but both of us have been listening to these for so many years and we just think they're so special that, we wanted to somehow incorporate them. And as we were putting the album together, Monique was also making these paintings that had a ton to do with her grandmother and used um, materials that her grandmother had given her. And, and so we thought, okay, this record is about Esther and it's about her influence and it's about who she is. And then at some point, I can't remember, we had two, we basically had two people produce this record, Jeremy McDonald and Daniel Smith, and they both did an amazing job. And, it's kind of great that in a way I can't really remember whose idea it was. It may have been mine, but it's also possible that it wasn't. I don't think it was Dan's because he kind of came to the project later. It might've been Jeremy's, but we just thought threading this through almost like a little, you know, um, like a little voice from the past. It isn't like a little voice from the past. It is a voice from the past, but, um, you know, there's a passage in Hebrews that says, uh, though he be dead, yet he speaketh, yet he still, you know, and mm-hmm. so Esther is, on the one hand, she's gone, but like Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living, and there's something beautiful about thinking about her voice still speaking the living word in the music, and so it was this huge gift that, gosh, here we, we get to do that. I don't I know yeah. if you would have anything more you want to say about it. Yeah, you can actually hear some of the audio cassettes in their entirety on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. If you go to the Asthmatic yeah. website, we decided to go ahead and put, we might put more of them up, but we put like uh, probably about an hour's worth of them, maybe total, maybe a little less. That On the Asthmatic Kitty website, you can just go on and listen to her read for a half hour. We've gotten nearly 17 hours of her reading. <laughs> and so we kind of did little greatest hits mm-hmm. and um and that's also fun to think about because youtube is this you know cavernous oceanic almost infinite morass of uh material and it's fun to think about you know people stumbling on to this reading woman reading passages of scripture out in ohio in the 80s or 90s or whenever it was mm-hmm. yeah and you can see the actual cassette player and Kate in the video we made for Matthew 7 7. Mm. That's all on our YouTube channel. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if this is 
maybe too big of a question to ask or if you'd have have an answer for it but um, I really was struck by what you said about you know her you know doing something that uh, she recorded in her lifetime and has you know lived on here all these decades later even. Um, is there anything that you two have tried to do with your children that um, reflects that in a different way that you've tried to do that is going to try to kind of carry on your legacy? I mean, obviously, as music makers, um, that that happens with with your music living on, but specifically with your children, is there anything that you've tried to do to uh, carry on some sort of similar legacy as Esther did for you? I don't know if you know. I I've written. So we had one son. I writ. I wrote him. I've written him about five or six letters hmm. that are in a journal, and I did it once every six months or once every year, probably the first three or four years of his life. And I haven't done one in many, many years, but that's, that's one thing that I've done. I think, you know, in in some ways, I think everybody does this, you, you, in your home, all the traditions that you have, the little tchotchkes that you put out at the holidays or the meal that you always have, or, um, you know, the crafts that you make or the, 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 you know, we just got on Christmas. So I'm thinking all these Christmas things, but. Yeah, we have we have those. I don't I don't know that we can top Esther. I mean, she what she did was, I mean, the fact that she did this that she read all those passages of scripture. Monique is this in some ways very quiet, demure person, but she's also very bold. She asked for those. She was painting at the Cooper Union, like four or five, six, seven, eight hours a day, and she's like, Grandma, will you please make tapes of you reading the Bible? <laughs> and I said, Sure. So I guess sometimes you just, if you ask, you know, if you ask, you'll receive, seek, and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. I don't, I'm not, ans- I, I'm not asking, asking, answering your question very well. Do you have an answer? I think our music will be that for our son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also have this gratitude journal that I enjoyed doing with him mm. where before bed, it was just this journal so that um, I'm thankful for, you know, dot, 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 you know, and had lots of entries. And it was really fun to go through that book with the family at night. So I think we'll always have that. Your son, Isaiah, how, how old is he now? Uh, he just turned 16. Is he a fan of your music? Is he interested in music? Does he like what you guys do? Or uh, is he like the children of many famous parents and he just doesn't care at all? <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. It's kind of... Um, I think he's kind of secretly proud, although he maybe wouldn't admit it. It was funny. Um, I'm in the middle of trying to do a project right now where I'm trying to write 12 songs in 12 weeks and just as sort of an exercise and to see what happens. And, and it's always been the case that both Monique and Isaiah have to listen to me practice and write songs in the living room. But, um, a couple of times we heard him in the shower or walking through the hall singing this new song that I just wrote a couple of weeks ago. And then he'd sort of crack up laughing. Like we kind of busted him. Like he's like he's <laughs> singing this song that I wrote. And so I don't know. I think that, I think those things kind of get in your, you know, your heart or your mind. And so he'll probably be carrying those around whether, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. Yeah. He's been very kind to us. It, it might not be like the, the exact music he would really truly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like us as much as he likes Frank Sinatra or the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Oh, I, I can't blame him. I don't like the Welcome Wagon as much as I like Frank Sinatra or the Wu-Tang Clan either. So I, I, I kind of completely agree with him. You guys have such a big presence both in music and in um, the church and ministry. And Monique, for you, in the world of art, uh, does your son uh, show any interest in pursuing one of those avenues? Is he wanting to follow your footsteps in any way? Hmm, that's a great question. I think art, he's kind of an artist, I think. Of it, yeah, he's definitely he's an artist type. He's yeah. definitely an artist, but he's kind of making his own way. I think he he marches to the beat of his own drum, and so the different things that he's pursued sometimes will think, oh man, he's he's not much like us at all. He has his own pursuits, and then and which is fine. Uh, and then we kind of see that they do have the shape of some of the things that we love or care about. But I think he's he's going about it in his own way, um, and and maybe even you know, intentionally, you know, every, every kid has to rebel. And so he's rebelling in his own way of, you know, saying like, you know, I, I don't do this, but I, I do it my own way. I do have to touch on, since you already referenced um, your relationship with Sufjan Stevens, I should go into that a little bit. Um, Cause that's, that's how I got introduced to, to you guys is through um, listening to Sufjan and uh, a friend of mine kind of said like, Oh, Hey, this is this married couple. They've, they've played a lot with Sufjan in the past. And so, um, I'm such a big fan of yours, but I'm also a huge fan of Sufjan as well. So how, how, how did you two get connected with Sufjan initially when you first moved to New York? We had a friend who is an artist, and um, I don't know how she met him, but Sufjan was here doing an MFA in creative writing at the New School. Hmm. And somehow she met him, and we were at the Knitting Factory, which isn't, uh, it's, it's, it's not there anymore. It was in Manhattan, it was this club. Um, this music venue that a lot of people played. It was pretty small. It was a venue that was maybe 150 or 200, but we met him out front of there. And then our circles just started connecting and connecting a little bit more and connecting a little bit more and um, became pretty close and we would hang out. And then um, this was right around the time that I was learning to play the guitar. And when we first met him, I didn't even know, we didn't know he was a musician. We just knew he was a writer and he wasn't really doing music at all. But every once in a while, we'd see him noodling around with the guitar at our house or he would. And then pretty soon he, would, he was playing songs or would drop off when people still burn CDs. He would, you know, he was making little, he was making songs on a little eight track that he had. Hmm. And, and then it really kind of codified when he asked me to go on tour with him, which was crazy because I could barely play the guitar and but he I started playing in his band and I played in his band for probably uh I don't know two or three years or something like that through the first album or two or three that he did up until Illinois Rest in my arms, sleep in my bed there's a I played, we played with him, and then he, he, that was also the time that he very famously was making these Christmas records, and each year he would choose somebody to make a record with, and back then it was nobody knew that he was doing it because nobody knew who he was he but we made, it was, i think we were the second people to do it with him and um 
and it, and that was super awesome for lots of reasons. But one is it was it kind of gave us a taste for like, oh my gosh, this is something that's accessible accessible to us. You know, he sort of you know invited us to be on his this bus that he was driving, figuratively speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, like hey, this watch watch what we can do. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was the one who was doing so much of the heavy lifting and the arrangements and most of the instruments and stuff. But he was also sort of like uh, very encouraging and encouraging me to write songs and encouraging me to play and encouraging us both to sing. And so I don't know. The next thing we know, I, I mean, we, I, I, this might sound uh, hard to believe, but. I don't even think we thought of ourselves as a band as a band or even knew that we were making an album until very, very shortly before it came out. The first record. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love for that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in with that first Christmas album just because it has reached so many people and um, I mean it seems like that's yeah where where I especially knew some of your music from um, you know t- touching on one song specifically uh, bring a torch Jeanette Isabella you recorded on there which or, no 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 I begged him not to put that on I I was drunk when I sang that I was we were in a I don't know if I should say that loud um, we were making it in an old apartment that we had that was an old church manse. And I was like, I have an idea. I'll go downstairs and I'll call the house. This is when everybody still had landlines. And I sing that song so terribly. I hate, I begged him not to put that on the release. Bring a torch, Jeanette Isabella. Bring a torch, come swiftly and run. Christ is born, tell the folk of the village. Jesus is sleeping in his cradle. Ah, ah. Beautiful is the mother. Ah, ah. Beautiful is her son. I'm not mad at him or anything like that, but like... It was weird to do something that originally we thought 40 people would hear and then a lot more heard it. So uh, I, I wish he, he employs auto-tune uh, famously on some of his albums. I wish he had auto-tuned Bring It Towards Jeanette Isabella. Well, you have to be, I mean, that has to be one of the few contemporary recordings of Bring It Towards Jeanette Isabella. That's that's the only reason I ever even got introduced to that song was through <laughs> through that album. So it's a really good song. I just wish I'd sung it better. Twenty three years ago. Yeah, that was over twenty that years ago. That was a really long time ago. Do you guys still have a relationship with Sufjan? I mean, are you still in touch? I mean, just through the record label, at least. Sure. Yeah, and he's super uh, supportive. He's supportive of all the artists on the label, and he's been a, a dear friend for many years, and um, very grateful for him and for who he is, not only professionally, but more than that, just as 
as a friend who's been very faithful to us in lots of ways, and um, so we're very grateful for him. Is he an attendee of your church? You guys, uh, we haven't touched on that much yet. The, ch- the church that you guys run in, in Brooklyn, I believe. Um, does he does he ever attend? Well, I'm not the pastor of that church anymore. I I I, I that's a church that I helped to plant 17 years ago. Well, more than that now, but I was there for 17 years and. I now work at a church out in New Jersey. Mm, okay. uh, so I have I have switched churches and switched roles. I'm, I'm not I'm no longer the lead pastor. I'm not a lead pastor anymore. I'm um, a, a pastor on staff of a larger church, and so um, so that's that's where I pastor now out in New Jersey. So I reverse commute. And spent a lot of time in the Holland Tunnel. Um, so what did, now that you mentioned that you have a new church home, what, what led to the change? I mean, I know you planted your initial church there in Brooklyn. So did you feel like you you know it had been sufficiently planted and you wanted to try something new or what? I don't think I'd put it that way. I think it was just more uh, a season had come to a close. And, and you know, I think as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, I want to believe that not just as a pastor, but anybody that, that what we do vocationally is a vocation and vocation means calling. And so it was a time where I was hearing a call to something new or to something different. It was certainly not because I, I, it was, it was actually very hard to leave that church. And I still have so much affection and love for the people of that church and, um, and always will. And I will always, you know, I and and I've I've remained on very good terms with the people of that church, and um, so it just it was it's, it's kind of hard to articulate. Just you know, like like most of the time, I think any kind of new calling like that is fairly hard to articulate. It's usually not only easy to articulate if there was some presenting issue, like um, an illness in the family and we had to move, or you know financial constraints made it so we had to shut down but it wasn't it was none of those things and it wasn't even a big conflict or it wasn't like anything like that it was just um it was a new season earlier we talked about your connections with uh sufyan's christmas albums and on on your most recent album there's a song that that has a christmas feel to it um would you get would you guys ever think of releasing a full full christmas album yeah no i don't think i've ever thought of it because I think you, because you really love to write songs, and you never write about Christmas. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's pos- I suppose it's possible. I think having done what's you know this the that EP with Sufyan, and also because uh, he's so associated with it that it would be we'd have to find some really new angle to do it. But I don't think either. I I mean, we both adore Christmas, but. I don't think we feel a real pull to do an album. I think we've got some other ideas for things that we would want to do, but I don't think that's one that, you know, if I want to listen to Christmas music, then we'll listen to the Carpenters or Sufjan or King's College Choir. And I don't think we can beat either of those three. So, uh, so we'll stick, we'll, we'll try something else. You guys are coming for the Carpenters. I'm telling you. No way. Their their al- their Christmas albums are unstoppable. They're invincible. They're amazing. Those the production on those albums is 
outrageously great. Not that you need to listen to any of my critiques, but gosh, I mean, you're the 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 hymns that you guys have pulled or you know kind of referenced or or covered in different ways, including Bring a Torch, Jeanette Isabella, and some of the ones on your you know uh, whatever, just different albums, um, yeah. are so like. Un, unused, underutilized, I guess, or just you know, not not contemporary, or people are not familiar with them. And so, I would say that if there was anything that you guys could uh, branch out into a Christmas album, I mean, that would just be a good start. Is just covering, you know, some of the Christmas songs that you guys like. That I, you know, what you may, you may have you may have struck a nerve in a good way, not in a bad way, but like um, not so much anymore. But I used to have a really bad habit of going on eBay and buying really old arcane hymn books and that's where some of the hymns and you're right it's really fun to go you know don't do another cover of amazing grace try to find lyrics that were written in the fifth century that nobody's heard or that are very very obscure and kind of bring them to light and i've got two or three books of carols and christmas songs from you know, a long time ago. That that would be my good only. Yeah. That would be my only interest. Yeah, that would be. That's a great idea, Owen. It's a good idea, yeah. Owen. <laughs> Honestly, I I'd just love to hear it. So as long as it, it if it ever happens, then I just uh, I'd be happy just getting a chance to listen. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy. You know, I wanted to ask. I have I have this uh, these really close friends um, who are a married couple, and they're musicians as well, and they tour a lot. Um, is there anything that you would give as advice to them? They're expecting their first child later this month, and so as as another married couple who um, has been musicians for you know whatever fifteen twenty plus years, um, what what sort of advice would you pass along to them? Okay, how long are the tour are they going on? Uh, I mean, they they tour mostly just kind of around Iowa um, or the Midwest, and so it, all, their tours are usually shorter. You know, they'll be just whatever a few weeks long or something, and they have their uh, they have an RV that they travel in before they return home. So their tours are usually a little bit shorter. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, that's that's it's gonna they're gonna make it. They're gonna. They're gonna be able to make it with their own RV. That's awesome that they have their an RV. Yeah, I think it, that's it is awesome. I think that man, you just I don't think I have any advice because it's it's such a unique thing to be in a band. You know, you're having it's a small business that you're running with your spouse, and uh, at the same time, it's this it's this artistic endeavor, and both of those things are really. Um, you know, both of those things are really important. And so there's a lot at stake. And so you're, there's, there's the tension and the struggle of making something aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing to everybody that you're working with, and then also trying to make it all work financially. And so each step of the way that we've taken as the welcome wagon, I don't, you just, (laughs) you know, it's like walking across a tightrope and, you know, sometimes you fall or sometimes you, that's not a very good analogy because if you fall off the tightrope, then you're done. <laughs> but a lot of times there's nets under there. Yeah, there's nets. Yeah, so yeah, most, yeah. Most times tightrope's happen. Yeah, and then well, sometimes the nets are saggy, and you kind you do hit the ground, but not that hard. 
it's not a fatal fall. Yeah. So I guess it can be hard at sometimes, you know, having a fall together <laughs> like that. Maybe sometimes feel like you hit the ground a little too hard. Yeah. Um, but I guess um, one of the neat things about this album, Esther, is that um, Vito lets me do, like, the artwork for the album and kind of oversee the visual art. So I get to have some ownership in it, and there's some paintings that are included in the artwork. And it kind of is like, and, and like, so basically we have a band together, but you're always, like, oh, we're both sharing, right. sharing things that are both important to us, you know, which is nice. You, you and kind of say? I do know what you're trying to yeah, say. Okay. And we all, we decided a long time ago that we made a decision who is going to be where the buck stopped in what area of the band. So I write all the songs and um, at this point do most of the arrangements or make the decisions about the songs. Now Monique has a huge amount of input in that and a lot of times her decisions are better than mine. But we've decided that when it comes down to it, if we're at an impasse and, you know, I think that, you know, uh, there should be, a big long guitar solo and she doesn't th then i'll have the you know the the final say whereas for the packaging or for the visual aspect of the band or for what we wear on stage or anything like that i have a lot of input but then she'll make that decision so maybe one piece of advice is to know you know to i mean i, I don't even want to keep that as advice because that's what's worked for us mm. maybe having a sort of compromise or making decisions literally together where you don't go forward until you're both agreed on it maybe that would work for somebody else but for us it was easier to say um all right somebody's got to make this decision and especially when we did go on tour sometimes it would be with two or three or four other musicians and somebody had to be the music director and that was me you guys haven't ever really done much of a official like big long tour or anything other than some select shows here and there w would you guys ever you know go on a tour across the midwest or across parts of the country yeah the longest tour we've ever done is a week or you know we've done quite a few of those but there's never been a time when we're not both working full-time hmm. and so that's just, it makes it prohibitive. We have, you know, lots and lots and lots of friends who who are able to do that because they've decided to make music their professionally, you know, their professional vocation. And so if that was the case, then, you know, I, we have good friends in a band called Lowland Home or our friend Sandra McCracken or uh, different friends that we have who are really hustling and working hard and saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to go to a bunch of churches and bars and living rooms and stuff, and we're going to make this happen. Um, but that's just, it, in a way, we'd like to do that, but that's just not, that's not the situation that we have. So, yeah. I mean, even we're, we didn't do a tour at all for Esther, and I think we kept saying, well, and after the first of the year, we'll set something up, and <laughs> it's February, and we haven't set anything yeah. up. So yeah. um, There is a, something nice about, having we we don't have to depend on music mm. for our finding um there's something nice about it because maybe we feel like we can we can just make what we want we don't have to think too much about like is this going to make money that's that's a big burden oh, far from me
last question is how, how can people support you other than buying your music? What are some ways that, uh, that your fans or other people can support you too? Oh, whoa. Um, well, one thing is to go to moniqueayudo.com and sign up for Monique's newsletter and take a look at her work there. I, I mean, I, in some ways, you know, our, our band all together is sort of a cottage industry, our little, you know, our sort of side hustle and our small business and, a big part of it is music, but then a part of it is Monique's visual art. And so that's, that's in part why we included that on the album. Um, but in terms of supporting us, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do know this. I know that we feel really supported by people that have cared for us and supported our music. And some people have done that in really big monetary ways, and we're super grateful for that. And then other people have done it, you know, Every once in a while, we'll get a letter or an email from someone who'll say, um, your music meant a lot to me in this time of my life, or we really appreciate what you're doing and we're praying for you. And that, I, I can't tell you how great that feels. In fact, Owen, you did that once. Very good. Yes, I did, Vito. I put the spot, but when I saw your name, I remembered your name. And um, I remembered that you sent me an email probably five or six or seven years ago. And so it's really astounding to get emails from strangers. I mean, I did, you know, there's lots of people who get lots of them, but we get, we get like one every two months, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is totally fine. I'm not complaining that we don't get more. I'm just saying, even if you get one of somebody that, that says, you know, they're effectively saying, Hey, you know, that song you wrote in your living room, it really means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. It's almost a surprise. I'm like, how the heck did they hear that? I, you know, like I wrote that here. I'm just, just sitting here watching Netflix, noodling on my guitar. How did you hear what I did? You're, you're right. I, I think I think probably the connection is just that you guys have a very accessible. Like it's not hard to track you down. I mean, your email address, you know, at the time at least was online, and so it's like it's it's easy enough to contact you guys. So for people that do care enough, they, it's easy to reach out. Come thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. You know, the last thing that I do as I wrap these up is, is, I, is I make the people that I, um, that I interview, I make them listen to me compliment them for a couple of minutes and, and flatter them in their work. And so you're going to have to listen to that for just a couple of minutes here because um, I... I I did just want to say how much like I really appreciate your guys' music. Um, even though you know I, I connected with you at first just through listening to Sufjan and picking up on some of your stuff through him, um, your individual music that you two put together and compose is so beautiful and rich and steeped in um, Christian themes and biblical elements, and is so much more so even than like you know I feel like ninety five percent of contemporary Christian music you listen to today on the radio, your guys' stuff has so much more biblical depth than so much of that, and so I really um, try to pass along the word of your guys' music to as many people as I can, especially within the church, um, just because there's so many like fun elements that are hidden in there that, um, that you guys, uh, as, as pastors especially, are able to uh, incorporate into your music. Um, you know, your, 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 your Christmas uh, contributions to Sufjan's albums especially um, are so important and so impactful to so many people. I mean, that that music has meant so much to a lot of people over the years, so I'm so thankful that you guys were able to 
uh, be a part of that and contribute to those albums. Um, and and just, just for you guys as a couple, I mean, you're such a renaissance couple almost between being an artist and, and a pastor and, and musicians. And, and Vito, I know you like to run a little bit too. I mean, there's just so many different elements of your life, uh, your parents, and I think you have at least one cat that I've seen from pictures. And so there's so many elements about your life that, that I appreciate that you guys are really trying to balance it all together. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Owen, that's so kind. You just filled my bucket. <laughs> thank you so much. You're modeling, Owen, and I, you're modeling for the people who are listening. It's so important to say to the people that we care about or that we love or that we admire or that have uh, been an, a blessing to us to let them know. And so thank you for doing that for us. And thanks for reminding us to, to, you know, to share that with others that we love too. But thank you so much for, for your words. And thank you also for, um, uh, for noticing our cat. And we, we included him in the press photos very intentionally. He's he, uh, important part of the, the family. He gets hair all over the place and he also wakes us up very early in the morning and we appreciate him. What's his name? How old is he? His name is Lucky and he's 10. Wow. And, his, it's such a weird coincidence. I cannot believe this. His two favorite musicians are also Frank Sinatra and the Wu-Tang Clan. That was The Welcome Wagon, and it, again, it was a little bit shorter interview than I would have hoped or liked or dreamed. Um, I think that I mapped out a lot more uh, questions for them than, uh, than, I, than I would have anticipated. I think that I've, I had more questions for them than I have any other uh, interview subject that I've had so far. Um, I really did want to get a little bit more deeply into some of their music. Um, I mean, they just have such... I don't know, I don't want to say obscure, but just deep biblical references in a lot of their music, you know, pulling from uh, the book of Malachi or Galatians or Psalm 127. I mean, there's just such um, obscure uh, biblical references in so much of their music, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, but um, time just didn't quite allow for some of that. Obviously, I would have liked to talk a lot more about Sufjan Stevens, too, um, but uh, I didn't want to have conversation about a, a third party be what bogarted our conversation together. Um, I really was, uh, I did not anticipate, but it was very, very sweet of Vito to um, remember the email that I sent to him a long time ago um, for a little bit of background. That was um, when I was traveling on the World Race uh, Mission Organization in 2013 and 14. Um, it was, I think, the spring of 2014 that I emailed Vito and asked if I could use one of their songs on, um, you know, just like the highlight video that I was making for one of my months on the world race. Um, and his, he emailed back right away and said, yeah, sure, that's great. Um, the only stipulation is that you have to 
uh, pray for us for this next month as as my wife and I are continuing in our work together, things like that. So um, it was it was very surprising and very sweet of him to remember that email exchange from um, coming up on it'll be about nine years ago. This uh, this April is probably when we first had that correspondence. Um, but they're yeah they're such a good natured couple, very sweet. Um, you know they're they're easy to reach, and so they were they uh, emailed back and responded right away to uh, to be on this podcast, and I'm really thankful for that. So. Um, thanks again for listening, and again, reach out with any suggestions you might have for future guests on Neat Humans, but thanks for listening today.